Let's open the Word of God to John, the sixth chapter. The Gospel of John and chapter six again. And let's finish this chapter of 71 verses that the Lord has given us. When Jesus said in verse 62, What and if ye shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? Jesus was poking these Jews one more time for having said, How can this man have come down from heaven? Because we know his mom and his dad, Joseph and Mary. Well, Jesus is pointing out that unless God has made a change in a person, they are not going to receive his preaching. They're not going to be able to hear with understanding. They won't see the kingdom of God. And it wouldn't matter if this were, event were to occur or not. A cross-reference that we use is Luke 16, where Jesus told about the rich man who fared sumptuously every day, and when he died, he went to hell, and there was a poor beggar named Lazarus who was left at his gate every day, and the dogs licked poor Lazarus' sores, but when he died, a chariot came from heaven and carried his spirit to be with Ab in Abraham's bosom. And Jesus explained to the audience about the rich man's request, that the rich man in hell saw Father Abraham and said, Father Abraham, could you please send Lazarus back to tell my five brothers not to come to this terrible place? And Abraham said, they have the scriptures read every Sabbath day. Uh, my brothers need something more dramatic than that. They need Lazarus coming back from the dead. And Abraham explained, and Jesus is actually the one teaching through this vehicle, Jesus is actually teaching, if they won't listen to, to the, the law and the prophets, if they won't listen to the scriptures, they wouldn't be persuaded, though one came back from the dead. That beggar's name was Lazarus. Now, is there another Lazarus in our New Testaments? Was there a Lazarus with a sister named Mary and a sister named Martha? John chapter 11, we'll get there in a few years. John chapter 11 tells us about, I'm not going to take quite that long, Elaine. That's why I said that. Uh, John chapter 11 is about that Lazarus. That Lazarus did come back from the dead. He died. Martha and Mary sent for Jesus. Jesus took extra long because he wanted Lazarus to die so that he could raise him from the dead. Right. He loved Lazarus and Martha and Mary. And John chapter 11 says he took his time and Lazarus died. It was dead four days when he got there. And Jesus asked for the stone to be rolled away from the tomb. And his sister said, Lord, he stinks by now. It's been four days. But Jesus raised him from the dead. So we had a Lazarus come back from the dead. Right. What effect did it have on the Jews? They conspired to kill Jesus for raising him from the dead, and they conspired to kill Lazarus for coming back from the dead. Right. Now that's just terrible. But that's how blind we are, and thank you Jerry and Paul for going off on that between the two services. That is how blind we are that when it did happen, it didn't convince anyone or persuade them. Instead, they conspired to kill the one that came back from the dead. That is blindness. 
And we would be as blind if the Lord had not changed us by his grace. And so Eric had us sing marvelous grace of our loving Lord. Grace that exceeds all of our sin and our guilt. And has shown us the Savior. Let's come to verse 67 and let's get these last five verses. Verse 66 sets us up by telling us that from that time, those final remarks of Jesus that we covered in our first service, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. They had followed him. They might have said he was the Messiah. They probably, almost all of them, or all of them said, this man must be from God for him to be able to do miracles like this. So they were willing to hear some things from his mouth. They were willing to follow him a little. After all, he was way 75 miles north of Jerusalem, and they finally had a prophet in Galilee. You know, one of the big arguments of the Jews was no one of importance has ever come from Galilee, and there's no prophecy of anyone important. Well, that kind of left the Galileans out. Now they had Jesus that was a homegrown man, and they might have followed him. And all these things I'm saying sound sort of good, but they're not, they're not the evidence of eternal life. The evidence of eternal life is wanting to change your life and actually doing so to follow Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and Master. So verse 66 tells us that with our Lord's final remarks, that the reason I told you you don't believe is because you haven't been drawn by the Father, they left him. That was too harsh, too hard, too condemning. Jesus made no efforts to recover them. Jesus made no efforts to modify his lesson. There is a difference in this world between the children of God and those that are not the children of God. Jesus always saw that difference. We don't. We don't know. So we try to treat everyone on a, on a much more level playing field until they manifest themselves. But Jesus knew. Didn't it tell us that in verse 64? There are some of you that believe not, for Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. He always knew that Judas was going to betray him, and he always knew that this audience didn't really believe on him. And so he pushed them until they left. They didn't want truth, didn't deserve truth, and they weren't born again to receive truth. It's hard for many to believe that what I'm saying is true because they have believed a lie that it's the right of all men to have the truth. Truth is not a right. Not after the Garden of Eden when we chose a lie. Truth is a privilege and a blessing. It's not a right. And Jesus knew that these people, many, these people would have been involved in his death and the end of his crucifixion because they did not want to receive him. They murmured at him. They murmured about his doctrine. They said, this is a hard saying. Who can accept it? They should have asked him. Remember the, the apostles, when Jesus told the parable of the, the sower, the parable of the seed, the apostles pulled him aside and said, Lord, explain the parable to us. They pulled him aside a few verses later in Matthew 13 and said, explain that parable that tears to us. Why didn't these men do it? They didn't really want to learn. They were looking for an excuse to shut down the Savior because he wasn't the kind of a Messiah they wanted that would deliver them from the Roman government and feed them every day. We don't ever want to go to the Lord for his goodies. He's good enough by himself. He's good enough just as he is. He doesn't have to give us another thing in this life. And we should worship and adore and live for him forever. Thank you, Brady, for saying so in your prayer. I heard you. 
And if I heard you, he heard you ten times better. And so we come to verse 67. My dear brothers, from that time many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. If a crowd of 15,000 was whittled down in stages until there's none left but 12, and the 12 were chosen apostles, what would the order of business today be? The order of business today would be to have a roundtable discussion of 13 men as to what methods should be changed so that next time we won't lose the audience. There would be a marketing survey done. They don't like hard doctrine, so let's entertain them with a rock concert. They want goodies there, so let's open up a Starbucks. That You know that's what they would do. Don't you know that? That is what they do to build churches today. Because all those people went away, Jesus could have sat down with the apostles to figure out a more attractive message, a more pleasant delivery, a more exciting environment and venue for the presentation of the gospel. And that's what the mega seeker-sensitive churches are doing today. They're modifying the message, altering the worship of God to get people in who have no interest in God. I mean, not the God of the Bible, nor do they want to repent and change their lives. That is what the course of business would be in most circles. What does the Lord Jesus Christ say when 15,000 go away? Let's read verses 67 through 71. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will ye also go away? Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered them, Have not I chosen you twelve? And one of you is a devil. He spake of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. For he it was that should betray him, being one of the twelve. Amen and amen. This is the word of the Lord. The word of Jonathan Crosby is absolutely worthless. The word of anyone else is absolutely worthless. This is the word of the Lord, Jesus Christ, recorded for us by the Apostle John. Then Jesus said unto the twelve in verse 67, let's sit down and figure out how we can keep this from happening again. No, there was nothing like that. He turned to his twelve and said, will you go away also? Are you going to leave me as well? Is there any difference? Do you men appreciate what I just taught? Do you see any value in me? The whole crowd is left. Do you know how big how many 15,000 is compared to 12? 15,000 fills a basketball stadium. 12 fills a dining room. Look at the difference. Are you 12 going to go away also? What a difference. By the terminology, there were either few or none others left of the audience except his apostles. The 5,000 have been thinned down by our Lord's maneuvers that we have read through this chapter of John 6. This is opposite of how seeker-sensitive types and evangelists talk today. They're always working off of market surveys and how they can adjust things to keep a crowd, draw a crowd, build a crowd. It's totally different. Today, they would have chased those leaving to offer to have an evening concert. 
they would have chased those leaving with an apology for the hard sermon. But dissuasion, what is dissuasion? Dissuasion is the opposite of persuasion. Sometimes dissuasion is sweet. Dissuasion is when you try to convince somebody not to do something that you would really like them to do. Oh, don't worry yourself. You don't need to go with me. I got to go make this long trip into town and pick up such and such, but don't worry. I can do it. You really want them to say, I'll go with you. Uh, You just want to see if they're sincere. Who in the Bible did that? Who's the best in the Bible at dissuasion? What's our, who said that? Ruth. Ruth and Naomi. You know, Naomi had reached a point when she was in Moab that food was back in Israel, and so she purposes that she's going to go back to Israel because the only reason that Naomi moved to Moab was because of the lack of food due to a famine in Israel. And she's got these two daughters-in-law, and so she tells them, I'm, I'm going to go back. You girls stay here. Oh, no, we're going to go with you. Oh, you don't want to go with me. Listen, I don't have any more sons. You know, the two sons I gave you, they both died, so you're both widows. I've messed up your lives. Why don't you just stay here? I mean, if I was to go back and hit it really lucky on Christian Mingle and have myself a husband and have some boys, do you know how long you're going to have to wait for them? If you don't think that's in there, go read it. Christian Mingle isn't in there, but the rest is in there. They're going to be boys. Are you going to wait around for them to grow up? Are you going to watch them go through elementary school? She's, she's dissuading. And do you know what? On one of those daughters, it worked. She went back to Moab. You can read it in that little four-chapter book of Ruth. The little, little romance in the Bible. And Ruth responded very differently Amen. to Naomi. And the words of Ruth are beautiful. The words of Ruth are like Peter's words right here, aren't they? In fact, I want to go back and read them so that I get them exactly correct for you. Joshua judges Ruth, and here are the words against the dissuasion of Naomi. Naomi said to Ruth, Behold, thy sister-in-law has gone back unto her people and unto her gods. Return thou after thy sister-in-law. Why don't you go back after her? Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go. And where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. Where thou diest, will I die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part thee and me. When Naomi saw that she was steadfastly minded to go with her, then she left speaking unto her. Back to John 6. Will ye go away also? Jesus turns to his 12. Will ye go away also? Who's going to speak up? We know who's going to speak up. Peter always speaks up first for the most part. And so it's Peter. And we're glad that Peter speaks up. We should not be surprised to find impetuous Peter responding for two reasons. First, he usually spoke first on behalf of the apostles to Jesus because he was that sort of a temperament. But he also had received some internal and external blessing to know Jesus Christ a little bit better than nine of them. There was a triumvirate of apostles, Peter, James, and John. When Jesus was going to do something special, he took Peter, James, and John with him. And so, holding your hand at John 6, let's go back and check out a couple of these events in Matthew 16 that Peter was a beneficiary of. Matthew 16 and Matthew 17. 
Now, I've already referred to one this morning, so I'm just going to mention it. It's Matthew 16. Jesus has asked, who do men say that I am? And the apostles gave several answers that were in vogue. And Peter said, we know who thou art. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And it's in verse 17. Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. See, truth is a blessing. Do you see? Blessed art thou. It's not, Peter, I commend you. You're a smart apostle. You're the brightest of the group. Because it wasn't Peter's ability at all. It was a blessing on Peter. Blessed. And for us to understand anything from God is a blessing to us. We are blessed to care about the Bible. We're blessed to love the God of the Bible. We're blessed to love the Son of God in the Bible named Jesus Christ. Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. So Peter here had this revelation in order to be able to speak the truth in front of the apostles. Now, next chapter, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John, it's in verse 1, up into a mountain. He is transfigured and glorified like the sun in their presence. And there appeared from heaven, verse 3, Moses and Elias talking with him. So Jesus is glorified in his glorious body that shines like the sun in all of his raiment. And Moses and Elijah come from heaven and are talking to him. And the three apostles are just standing there watching this incredible conversation going on, Peter again speaks up and says, Lord, this is incredible that we're here. Let's build three tabernacles. Let's build three little tents, little houses of worship for you, for Moses and Elijah. That wasn't very bright because Moses and Elijah are not to be compared to Jesus. So God thundered down from heaven. This is my beloved son. Hear ye him. What is unsaid there, but to be understood, forget Moses and Elijah. This is my beloved son. But Peter had that. James and John had that privilege of being on the Mount of Transfiguration. So when when we come back to John 6, and we should come back to John 6, these apostles were being led along different routes at different times, seeing different things, learning different things. None of them really understood anything until after Jesus rose from the dead and gave them the Holy Spirit, especially on the day of Pentecost. They were constantly troubled in misunderstanding. As late as Acts chapter 1, Jesus tells all 11 that are left, Peter, uh, Judas is now dead, the 11, Jesus tells them in Acts chapter 1, stay in Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. I'm going to give you the Holy Ghost power like you've never had before. Then I expect you to spread out and preach the gospel, starting in Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria, then the uttermost parts of the earth. Question, Lord, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel at this time? They are still in the dark about what's going on. And if you get excited about Peter back there in Matthew 16, saying, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, five verses later, Jesus, says, I have to, Jesus said, I have to go to Jerusalem and die. Peter said, no way. I'm not going to let that happen. That's the most important thing Jesus had to do, is to go die. 
But Peter didn't understand yet, so Peter said, No, be it far from you, Lord. We don't want to let anything like that happen to you. You know what Jesus said this time to Peter? Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou savorest not the things that are of God, but of man. You are, not, you are thinking about our personal relationship here and not what I need to go to please God by dying on the cross for your sins. So these, these apostles knew some truth, didn't know truth, knew some truth at times, forgot that truth, like John the Baptist in prison. Lord, are you the one that should come or do we look for another one? Je right. We have it in writing, brethren. Do you understand the difference that we have? Those apostles were set free from all ignorant superstition with the Holy Ghost on the day of Pentecost, and they wrote it down in the Bible for us. Jesus had said in John 14, 15, and 16, the Spirit of truth, when he comes, is going to bring everything to your remembrance. The Holy Spirit brought everything to the remembrance of the apostles that Jesus had ever taught them, and they wrote it down in absolute certain truth, and we have it in writing. What we have in writing, Peter said, is better than being with him on the Mount of Transfiguration, hearing God's voice from heaven. That's what Peter said about the Bible. That is 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 through 21. Peter said, we have also a more sure word of prophecy. That even if you had been with me in the Mount of Transfiguration, it's all in 2 Peter 1, if you had been there and heard the voice of God from heaven in the presence of Jesus and Moses and Elijah, and you had James and John with me as well, if you had been there, you have something better. You have it in writing. And so we have everything that Jesus taught that he wanted us to have in writing because Jesus gave the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost that Holy Spirit caused the apostles to remember everything they had ever been taught. They wrote it down in the epistles and the gospels, and we have it in writing. Amen. We are so blessed. Amen. If I came down from a mountain next Sunday, let's see, Paris Mountain. If I come down from Paris Mountain and tell you that I've been on the mountaintop and I've had a vision and I tell you some words from God, you should carry me out of here and stone me in the parking lot. I haven't seen God or heard him because he's put everything in writing that we need. And what if I had seen God? How do you know that I remembered it correctly? How do you know that I'm interpreting it correctly? We're messed up. And that's what's happened when people have visions and try to bring them to the people of God and they contradict the scriptures. We have to go with Scripture. Right. Peter said this is better than the greatest vision there has ever been. And that's the one Peter got to partake of on the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew 17. And he wrote about it in 2 Peter chapter 1. So Peter, verse 68, John 6, 68. I thank you, Lord, for the Bible. Amen. We don't need the Book of Mormon. We don't need the Koran. We need the Bible. We don't need the Vishnus and the, and the uh, writings of the Vishnu and the, the, the writings about Vishnu and the other Hindu gods of the, of the Hindus. We, we just need the Word of God. Right. We don't need the writings of Mary Baker Eddy, of the Christian scientists, and we don't need the writings of Ellen Harmon White, of the Seventh-day Adventists. We need the Word of God. Yeah, we need the words of Jesus Christ. We need the apostolic doctrine written down to us for the last 2,000 years. Then Simon Peter answered him in verse 68, Lord... We love to see that word. Do you know how much is said by that one word? 
What did, what did the 15,000 call Jesus? It's verse 25. Rabbi. Rabbi. Teacher. Master. Professor. What did Peter call him? Just one Lord. Lord. Thief on the cross. Do you know how beautiful that is? The thief on the cross had been cursing Jesus along with his other, the other thief, both of them cursing Jesus in the middle. All of a sudden, God changed the one thief. He stopped cursing. He turned to the thief and said, stop talking that way about him. We deserve to be up here. This man has done nothing wrong. Right. Then that thief said to Jesus, the sign over the top said, Jesus. The man said, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. He said that Jesus was a king and had a kingdom, was going to that kingdom, and he called him Lord. Does that give you goosebumps? Amen. That's the power of the Holy Spirit in a man to call him Lord. When Saul of Tarsus was on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9, and Jesus Christ appeared to him as a bright light and knocked him flat on the ground, what were his words? Who art thou, Lord? Oh, yes. When you meet Jesus Christ in truth, he's Lord. And we want to declare that Jesus Christ is Lord loud and clear. God has given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Do you know how important it is? First Corinthians, that was from Philippians chapter 2. Because Jesus died on the cross, God has put him on his throne in heaven and given him a name which is above every name, and the name is Jesus. And Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 1 Corinthians 12.3 tells us that no man can say that Jesus is Lord but by the Holy Ghost. No man can sincerely say Jesus is Lord but by the Holy Ghost. So we're, 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 we just reviewed some things that are wonderful. There's going to be many in the great day of judgment that are going to say the words, Lord, Lord. But it's not going to be by the Holy Ghost. It's not going to be sincere. It's not going to be based on a changed life. Sorry. I think the first word is immensely important in John 6, 68. Then Simon Peter answered and said, answered him, Lord. Let me keep working on that word, Lord. Tim, do you remember? No, you may not, but I mean, 35 years ago, you love 1 Corinthians 12, 3, that says no man can say that Jesus is Lord but by the Holy Ghost. I remember that particular verse being meaningful to you because lots of people say Lord, but until the Lord changes us and we say it sincerely, that's by the power of the Holy Ghost. That's a born-again man. Remember, it's the Spirit that quickeneth. The flesh profits nothing. The fleshly person can say the word, the L-O-R-D, the four-letter English word Lord, but who's going to say it meaningfully, meaning you are my Lord and Master and I will do anything that you want me to do now or later for nothing. That's what we mean when we say the word Lord. And that's what Peter meant. And it's beautiful. There is a controversy today in evangelical circles, and I've told you about it before, but I want you to remind you of it. It's called the Lordship Controversy. The Billy Graham types 
who have made eternal life to be based on a simple, momentary decision of faith, deciding for Jesus, inviting Jesus into your heart. We disagree with that doctrine. They've invented that in the last 200 years, starting with Charles Finney, the Presbyterian in New York. That group of people that want to make eternal life dependent on your choice of Jesus have created a controversy in that if you make the person say that Jesus is Lord, you're requiring too much and you've created a legalistic system of works and that person will go to hell. That you should only have to believe and confess that Jesus is Savior. What they want the person to say is this. Pray after me is how they do it. Pray after me. Jesus. Jesus. I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. Please be my Savior. Please be my Savior. Amen. Amen. Okay, you're saved. Bye-bye. Let's go duplicate ourselves somewhere else. That's how they do it. No Lord. Did you notice no use of the word Lord? There's books being written on both sides of this. John MacArthur out of California holds our position. I do respect John MacArthur. I pray for him all the time. That the Lord will use him. Lordship controversy. Do you have to own Jesus as Lord? Or do you just have to say that he's your Savior? Now we disagree with the whole thing. Because we don't believe anyone has been saved by one sentence that they've uttered, no matter how perfectly it was worded. But I just want to show you how important the word Lord is. Do you know the animosity that is out there on the part of evangelical Christians that do not want a person pressed to repentance to own Jesus as Lord? You ought to re- I know you, you think I'm making up this conflict. It is not. It's been around for about 40 or 50 years, and it's huge. And both sides say that the formula for the other side is sending people to hell. Because, see, the Lordship people say, if you're just going to say he's your Savior and not submit to him as your Lord and repent, then that's nothing. We agree with both uh, when they're talking about each other. And so I love the word Lord right there. John 6, 68, Lord, to whom shall we go? Lord, you're asking if we're going to leave you like the 15,000 left you? Where would we go? Are we going to go down to Jerusalem and get some Pharisee? Or are we going to get a Sadducee that doesn't even believe in the resurrection of the dead? Doesn't even believe that there's a human spirit? Doesn't even believe that there are angels? A Sadducee? Where are we going to go? We don't have anyone else to go to. Are we going to go to Egypt and find one of their priests? Are we going to go to the Greeks for their ignorance? The Romans? Where are we going to go? I love Peter here. Lord, to whom shall we go? Amen, Peter. Peter said there is no other teacher on earth to help us at all in comparison to you, is what he said by those words. Lord, to whom shall we go? It means there is no other teacher on earth to help us at all in comparison. And we say, amen, Peter. There is no other man that so well fulfills Messiah's prophecies. Amen, Peter. Thou only are the way, the truth, and the life to God. Amen, Peter. There is no other mediator between God and men but the man Christ Jesus. Amen, Peter. No other man can open the book of Almighty God from from his hand that sits on that throne. Amen, Peter. That's what he meant by to whom shall we go? 
Thou hast the words of eternal life. Remember back in 63, verse 63. It is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit. That is, they are spiritual, picked up only by a born-again spirit, which is caused by the quickening power of the Holy Spirit. They're spiritual in content, and they are about eternal life in content. Notice that by comparing 63 to 68, because 68 says, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. Peter was already born again, but to hear about eternal life, to know the evidence of eternal life, there was only one man to go to, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we have the explanation there in 68 that helps us with verse 63. Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. Peter understood that Jesus had the true message of the gospel for eternal life. They could not and would not learn such things from the best of Moses' men. They could not and would not learn much of anything from the Pharisees. And so that's the first half of the answer of Peter to the Lord. Now verse 69. Lord, I'm I'm back in 68 because I just want to say it again. Lord, Lord, don't ask us to leave. Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. There's no one else on earth. There'll never be anyone else on earth. But to you that can give eternal life. And we believe. He's speaking for the apostles. Notice it's in the plural. Just as Jesus asked, will ye, ye, is a plural, second person pronoun. Verse 69, and we believe. Let's start right there. And we believe. Why did they believe? There's a 15,000 that didn't believe. Jesus said in verse 36, you've seen me, but you haven't believed. No man can believe. No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him. So what had God done for Peter and the other apostles? Except for one of them. What had God done for the 11 apostles? He had drawn them. He had regenerated them. He had quickened them by the Holy Spirit. And look at the difference. And we believe. Why didn't they say that? Why didn't the 15,000 say that? The healing. The 5,000 fed. The walking the Sea of Galilee. Why didn't they? No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him. No man's going to know about me unless... God teaches them on the inside, 645 of this chapter. And we believe, Lord, to whom shall we go? There is no alternative for us. There is no comparison. There is no other man in heaven or on earth that we can go to. You are the only one that can provide us salvation. You are the only one that can teach us about salvation. Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe. And we believe. Peter's response was so different than the others. And we believe and are sure. We don't just barely believe. We are sure of our belief. Are you sure today? Any doubts? Or do you believe that Jesus of Nazareth, as recorded in the gospel accounts of the New Testament, truly walked on this earth? He's the Son of God. He died for our sins, was buried after three days. According to the scriptures, he rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, sat down at the right hand of God, and he's coming for us in flaming fire and with his mighty angels. Do you believe all that? Are you sure? Are you sure? Are you sure you're sure? Okay, you're sure. Because look at Peter. We believe. And not only do we believe, we are sure. 
We are certain of this fact. We have been persuaded by the evidence of your life. We have been persuaded by the testimony of the Holy Spirit inside us. We believe and are sure. Are you sure this morning? Do you know how we can tell if you're sure? It will change your life. You will not keep playing with the world. You will not keep turning away from him. Every time you turn away from him in any way, you're like these 15,000. And we can't be sure of you. You can't tell us you're sure because if you were sure, it would change your life. Did it change Peter's life? Peter was crucified upside down. Church history says we can't prove it. But Jesus did make a statement to him in John chapters 20 and 21 that he would die a unique death. Those men gave their lives for the gospel and they were persecuted all the way to the grave. But when it came time, according to history, for Peter to be crucified, he said, you're not going to crucify me like my Lord. You're going to crucify me upside down because I don't deserve to be crucified like my Lord. Those men gave their lives to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul had his head cut off. He was stoned stoned to death and came back from the dead. He was beaten and whipped multiple times as he gives us an account in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. These men changed their lives and they changed the world. Where they went and preached the gospel, men burned their books of magic, men destroyed their idols, and they they changed their lives to turn from their idol worship to serve the living and the true God and to wait for his son from heaven. Fantastic changes in lives. Tremendous. We believe and are sure. I want a church that believes and is sure about the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm only here as his ambassador. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords, the blessed and only potentate. And he's going to show this world very soon exactly who he is. Let's believe and be sure today. And the way you show it is whatever he said is worth doing. Because he's him. Because he's the Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter if he gives us eternal life or not. He's the Son of God. Let's obey him for whatever he asks out of our lives. Let's hate sin like he hated sin. The Bible says he loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Let's hate iniquity like he did. We believe and are sure that thou art that Christ. That is a demonstrative adjective modifying Christ as the particular one that has been under consideration leading up to this point. That Christ, the one of prophecy, the one that you have described, that came down from heaven, not to do his own will, but the will of the Father that sent him. That Christ. We believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. You indeed came down from heaven because God is your Father, and that's where you came from. He states the gospel in a nutshell right there in John 6, 69, the gospel record of the identity of Jesus of Nazareth. Thou art that Christ, the one that Christ declared about himself. You are the Son of the living God. Now Peter had said, we. We believe. We believe and are sure in the preparation last night. Even poorly taught Christians know that if there's a crowd of 15,000 that say they're Christians, some of them are not Christians. Well-taught Bible people know that there's a crowd of 15,000 that say they're Christians. Only a few of them are real Christians. Now the Lord's just about to teach Peter a lesson. Peter said, we, for 12 We believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered them, because Peter spoke for them. 
Have not I chosen you twelve? This is John 6 and verse 70. Have not I chosen you twelve, and one of you is a devil. Judas Iscariot was a devil, an unregenerate, Satan-possessed devil to fulfill the scripture by, by betraying the Lord Jesus Christ. For those of you that took the time last evening and went to Psalm 41, tells us about Judas, Psalm 41. He that ate bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. Speaking of Judas Iscariot, John 13, 18 tells us that Psalm 41, verse 9 is about Judas. Acts chapter 1 and verse 20 tells us that Psalm 69 and verse 25 is about Judas. Acts 1 and verse 20 tells us that Psalm 109 is also about Judas. And you can go back and read about Judas in those three psalms. There's other places in the Old Testament that tell us about Judas as well, and the 30 pieces of silver in the potter's field. But those three psalms tell us about Judas. I've chosen you 12 to be my apostles, and even out of the closest group in the New Testament religion, one of them was a devil, right. Judas Iscariot. Out of 5,000, you may get a few believers. Out of 12, even those that are next to the Lord Jesus Christ, one of them was a devil. To teach us that they can creep in anywhere. There are so many things that can be said about Judas Iscariot. And we will say them at a different time. But I want you to notice verse 70. Jesus answered the apostles who spoke through Peter, saying, we believe and are sure. Jesus said, 11 of you may be, but I've chosen 12 and one of you is a devil. He spake of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for he it was that should betray him, being one of the twelve. They can creep in anywhere. Judas Iscariot did such a good job that his preaching was, not, his preaching was no different than Peter's. Peter never even thought that it could be Judas Iscariot. Do you know who Peter thought was going to betray Jesus? Peter did. Peter thought he was going to do it. Who did John think was going to betray Jesus? John thought he was going to do it. No one suspected Judas Iscariot. Yeah, Judas Iscariot was devil-possessed. Judas Iscariot wasn't even close to the kingdom of heaven. Judas Iscariot has things said about him in Psalm 109 that will scare you if you read it. Jesus Christ in prophecy says, when Judas Iscariot stands before Almighty God, I want every single one of his sins brought up into remembrance. I want every one of his children to be vagabonds in the earth. It is, it is ferocious language against the one that betrayed the Lord Jesus Christ. He was a devil. And he fulfilled scripture. But he was chosen to be one of the twelve. Out of our assembly, there are John 6 hearers that aren't really committed to following Jesus Christ. Only if it's comfortable and convenient. Only if they get some goodies. There, could, there will be some unregenerate devils Maybe not equal to Judas Iscariot in the outward sin of his, but unregenerate, reprobates. And then there are those that will say with Peter, we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. To whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. Lord Jesus, tell me anything you want me to do, and I'll do it. And when the Lord Jesus teaches you through his word, through his spirit and through his minister, that the will of Jesus Christ for your life is in the Bible, that person will say, whatever the Bible tells me to do in my marriage, my finances, any part of my life, my speech, my thoughts, I'm going to do exactly what Jesus said. Right. I'm going to change my life for him. He gave his life for me. I'll give my life to him.
May the Lord bless the preaching of his word. Amen.